Welcome back to the PigX Podcast. I'm your host, Delaney Howell. Let's catch up on last month's discussion because we've been airing here a special two-part series, which is a little different than our normal pattern of things. Last month, we were joined by Dr. Chris Rodemaker, clinical professor at Iowa State University's College of Vet Medicine and the associate director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center, as well as Dr. Steve Pullman of DSP Consulting, and we're welcoming them back again for part two of this series. But a quick note here, if you haven't listened to last month's episode, stop here, go back and re-listen before you join us in the second part of this conversation. As we dive into today's conversation, it's important we talk a little bit about a recap here because we've gone through a lot of material in last month's episode and we're gearing up to go through quite a bit more today. Last month, we talked quite a bit about stocking density and general mortality as a whole. We also examined the overall industry changes that both Chris and Steve have seen throughout their careers. We talked about how to calculate those big dollar decisions and the relationship between lead indicators and mortality rates. This month, we have so much more to discuss, and honestly, I get to take a little bit of a back seat here because Chris and Steve just have such a great dynamic, and they have a lot of good conversations just amongst themselves. So I'm excited to dial things up here and pick back up with stocking density. So let's hop right in. Stocking density clearly is a critical component of wean to finish management. And stocking density is how much floor space is allocated per pig within that building and how well is the space then used for stocking efficiency. And so it's easy to look at a barn and say, oh, we're stocked at seven and a half square foot in this barn. But then you have four pens that are empty. And so you've got some pens that are overstocked and some pens that have very few pigs in. So you have to look at pen stocking density. And the data are really clear to show that when we overcrowd pigs, we see dramatic increases in mortality. And a good thumb rule is for every additional half a square foot per pig, we can improve livability by about a percent and a half. And so a major move. Now, in the industry today, there's a concept that we frequently talked about was space balance. Is there enough space? Are we space long? Are we space short? And that bubble moves back and forth depending on how facilities have been constructed and managed. But historically, the swine industry has been space short. So we've consistently seen more crowding occurring. As sow productivity has gone up and market weights have increased, and we haven't built a lot of finishers to maintain it. And when the initial finishers were constructed, we were probably weaning 21, 22 pigs per sow per year. And now that number is dramatically increased and sometimes they're going into the same amount of space. Yeah, that was one thing for me, Steve. I know looking at at some you know data from some research that had been done was really just to understand how linear that stocking density impact was. You know, we have lots of biological variation in the system, but you know, at least from the the, the data that I've seen, there's two of them that are probably the the most consistently linear. One of those is stocking density; the other one's wean age. So, like you say, you feel 
confident that if you make those changes, you're going to really see those results. And and I kind of share your thing. Nothing drove me more crazy is to say you'd have pigs getting ready to get topped for the first time, you know, and, and it, they're tight, right? You can tell, you know, the, the average of those barn is seven and a half feet, but you come in and and you got pigs that are, you know, tight in pens. And then you got six pens there that are either empty or they got, you know, one or two lame or tail bitten pigs in there. And, you know, you talk to the caretakers and like, well, you know, we had tail biting last time. So we want to make sure we have enough space. So, you know, we're, we're giving all the space to these low value pigs and we're, you know, not given maybe quite enough space to our to our high value pigs. So in many situations, you know, you'd see that, you know, simply going in there and filling those pens up, you know, you would see a little bump up in growth, you almost like first cut impact on that. So that's probably one thing I think to always look at. And I understand the need and desire to have sick pens empty. But if I'm going to crowd pigs, I'd rather probably crowd my pigs in my sick pen, rather than uh, crowding all the rest of the remaining, you know, 90 plus percent of high value pigs in those barns. And I think you're absolutely right, Chris. When we look at predictable effects, stocking density is probably one of the most predictable outcomes. Out overcrowding results in vices. It results in lower gain, worse feed efficiency, and greater mortality. And, and so I think that's one of the challenges we have as an industry is to clearly understand what our space balance is and what our space utilization looks like, because that's a real important key driver to decreasing mortality. Yeah, I think that's right, Steve. You know, and it kind of reminded me too, the impact a stocking density can have on, you know, disease in general, and even in specific diseases, there was a, uh, a student here that came through Iowa State a few years ago looking at some data that they were actually looking at oral fluids for a bunch of different swine pathogens, PERS, PCV2, MHIO, APP, all that kind of stuff in there. And they'd done that in a lot-based system, but they also put into the model, they put all the different things into the model. And one of them that they put in was the stocking density. And when they looked at that and trying to understand why were some groups high mortality and some low, the one thing that really stood out with that was the stocking density. So the ones that if they were at, you know, initial stocking, and it usually comes just from the little bit of maybe underproduction in the farm coming out of a hot summer breeds and all that. But, you know, if they were at seven and a half square feet, you know, mortality was normal. But if the farm started overproduce, and like you say, they had fixed, uh, fixed assets, fixed finishing space, they couldn't get any more, and they had to stock them at 66 to 6.8%, you know, the mortality uh, really uh, was almost increased by four to 500%. So it, it really does have a huge predictable impact on that mortality in that situation. As Chris mentioned there, the two most linear factors of mortality that he's identified are stocking density and weaning age. We've explored stocking density. Now it's time to explain the impact of weaning age on mortality. Well, and weaning age has been a really an interesting trend to watch over the past two decades. And when you look at the distinct difference between Europe and the U.S., Europe consistently is weaning a much older pig. And early on in my career, well, I saw pigs being weaned between 14 and 17 days of age. And because we were focused on number of pigs weaned per sow per year, and by weaning and turning that faster, we were seeing some artificially boost in pigs per sow per year. But in many cases, the more recent data clearly showed that when we wean an older pig, we get improvements in livability and growth rate. And, and 
I think the data that we've collected in the past and has been published today, what it clearly says is we've got to be moving away from that 19 to 21 day old pig to 23 to 25 day old pig. And we probably don't need to go as far as the Europeans have gone with the 28 to 32 day old pig. But that 23 to 24 day old pig will give you increased livability dramatically compared to that younger wean pig. Yeah, Steve, I'd agree with that, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of that data was done, you know, Roger Main, he was working on a PhD while working with Steve and, and the team there at Smithfield, and that was really some foundational information, and like you say, that was one, you know, there's been a lot of systems that have now taken that information as they're looking at to say, and it kind of goes back to the early conversation about, you know, we can all get enamored with numbers, you know, we get enamored with pigs weed per sow per year, but, you know, 70% of the cost of production is in that grow finished pig, right? So, you know, we can have all those pigs, but if it just means we're killing more of them, now we're incurring more feed and more space costs into them, you know, it probably doesn't make sense. And like you say, there's a fine balance there, you know, within each system, I'm sure. And, and maybe that's part of that space balance equation as well. But it clearly showed and certainly have seen systems you know, if they were really struggling with downstream post-weaning mortality, changing that wean age has had a very, very predictable improvement in both livability, but also gain in feed efficiency as well. And I think what's happened historically, we've set up silos of production. We have the sow operations and we have the finishing operations, and then we reward them differently. And what happens is we can create some sub-optimization where we see people getting incentives from the sow farm, and then we have worse finishing performance. And I think that's what's happened over the last decade is we continue to see increases in finishing mortality and we brag about how many pigs we're weaning. So we've got to just really stop and evaluate and say, we really need to focus on total system optimization and lower wean age does influence some throughput at the sow farm or could, but at the same time, what really matters, and I often tell people, you got to look at the score at the end of the game, not at halftime when the pigs are weaned. Hey, Steve, you know, just thinking back, you know, particularly our time together at Smithfield, you know, we were kind of right in the middle of watching, you know, some changes, you know, in the way that pigs were produced, right? You know, I, I know at least when I was starting, it probably goes back to that wean age discussion that we had earlier. I know part of that younger wean age maybe not only was to get uh, more pigs through, but it was also to try to eradicate a couple diseases that had plagued the industry before PERS. Oh man, I wish I'd lived those days, what life was like before PERS, but that was to try to deal with atrophic rhinitis and mycoplasma and APP. So there was this push about medicated early weaning and things like that. And we went to three site production, but, you know, we certainly saw, you know, I would say probably in the last 10 to 15 years, kind of a, a movement, at least for part of the industry from that three site back to more of a wean to finish. So more of a two, maybe a, what you'd call a two site production system. But just kind of curious if you think back through all your career and those different production systems, what you think some of those impacts of those changes have been? You know, the industry certainly had changed. You know, we started with three site production and that helped uh, the industry a lot. But the, the next change that really came with that became larger sow farms. And with those larger sow farms, they were being produced such that we could try to get more single source pigs together. And at that time, we started to look at two site production or wean to finish. 
And the, the primary reason for that was, as we saw, an improvement in livability and growth rate consistently. And also what had happened at the time, the south farms were more remote from the finishing sites. And so just basic logistics suggested that if we were bringing feeder pigs uh, from a distant location, it'd take three trucks to get a load to a site. But with wean pigs, we could take one truckload. And just those simple two less truckloads was a major factor in being able to do the payback with wean to finish. So wean to finish really has gained some momentum, especially as we increased wean age. Uh, the last thing we needed to do was put a nine pound pig that was 17 days old into a marginally converted wean to finish site. So the conversions needed to be done accurately and efficiently. And at the same time, trying to take into account the feeding program to make sure that first diet was appropriately distributed across the location. And then, of course, focusing on uh, trying to minimize the number of sources going into a wean to finish site. Yeah, that's right. And, and it was really interesting about that was, you know, that was all occurring at the same time that the system was moving towards an older wean pig, because I know that was, you know, certainly uh, understandably some hesitation by producers is like, you want us to put these 10 pound pigs on concrete slats, you know, and, and I think in that system, that may be part of that post weaning advantage that we saw to moving to an older, heavier wean pig. Uh, although I think we've seen them both in two site and three site production was that, you know, a 15 pound pig is a whole lot easier to start on feed than a 10 pound pig and care for. So it made it a little bit easier for, you know, contract growers because there obviously was some hesitation for, you know, from that segment of the industry too, knowing that, you know, oh, geez, that seems like a lot more work than getting in a 40 to 50 pounder. But in many cases, you know, as you said, and it was repeated, you know, about as repeated as repeatable as what we saw with wean age and stocking density about the improvements that we saw. And then, you know, they, the growers would like it because it was, you know, one less time a year they had to, to wash the finishing barns. And, and I think we saw some changes in, in disease transmission, you know, because a lot of times, you know, you pick them up from the nursery, you, you know, you gather them all together, you mix them all again and you stress them a little bit, you know, on the, just because they're having to get moved and, and it just created some unique situations. So I think all that kind of layered into that very repeatable improvement in performance. I think that we saw in those uh, wean to finish systems. That is absolutely the case, Chris. And the last thing we need to do is bring a nine, 11 pound pig into wean to finish and expect it to be successful. So we knew we needed to increase wean age to get that heavier placement. And, and I think at the same time, it also helped in the whole aspect of moving the needle on livability and growth rate. And, you know, when you say, what should the ideal system look like today? And I think that's really an important message for people to think about. And you look at all the ones that we've mixed pigs and uh, we've had long fields. And in the truest sense, a large sow farm filling a wean to finish side up in one week or for a couple of loads is an amazing system. And you dramatically see performance benefits historically repeatable by having shorter fields, older pigs, in a wean to finish site. And so that's really, to me, if you were to look at what is the ideal system today, that would pretty well characterize it. 
Yeah. And I, you know, just thinking from a veterinary standpoint, you know, man, it becomes a whole lot easier to do targeted medication and vaccination when those sites are filled in a day or over a two to three day period versus those, you know, farms or systems where it's, you know, it's a two week fill, right? Cause you got, you when you feed budget, all that feed shows up at once. So the yeah. the first pigs get the right diets, but the last pigs may not. And, and same with the medication too. Absolutely. And and that's really one of the benefits and, you know, long fills and long in, result in longer times on the end to empty the building to get the, the weights up. So you really have to stop and ask yourself, the way to improve the system is the fill method. And the shorter the fill will result in more uniform harvest of the animals at the end. Another part of the feeding system that producers need to monitor are feed outages, which simply put are just situations where there's no more feed in those feeders. Now, as simple as it may sound, these feed outages can have an extreme impact on performance and survivability. So let's learn a little bit more about these feed outages and the effect they have on operations. You know, when we talk about feed outages, that also is a fairly important lead indicator. And we just need to know how many of those occur. And my definition of a feed outage is when you walk in the barn and you see a feeder empty. It's not means the feed didn't drop to the entire barn. You may have two or three pens that have a feed outage and the system doesn't have a feed outage. And if, if one will put some dedicated effort to monitoring feed outages and eliminating those, you'll see dramatic improvement in pig performance and livability. I think we probably undersell what the impact of that is. I know information from some of my colleagues that work in ABF systems, there was kind of a really unique case study, obviously with without antibiotics. And I think what they're learning there is your management's got to be, you got to really ratchet your management up because you don't have that crutch maybe to fall back on. But it was a really interesting case by uh, Marlon Hoagland had, had shared with me one day is they had had a ABF building and they had two bends feeding, each feeding a half of the barn and and one half the barn had feed and the other half had a significant feed outage. And what was really interesting with that, you know, they were, uh, you know, pigs probably placed in that, in that wean to finish barn about a week or so. And they saw it, they saw a pretty nasty E. coli outbreak there. And it was almost all confined to the one side of the pen that didn't get feed. The side that got feed, they were very minimally impacted. So I, I think, you know, that's another one of those, is, which is really to say, you know, production is all about details. My uh, my first mentor, Brad Frecking, that was always his comment that stuck with me over the years. Production is about the details. And it's really about making sure those pigs have, you know, air, feed and water. And if you mess up any of those, you know, those the, the pigs are going to tell you that there was an air there. And, and unfortunately, they're the ones that paid the price. And, you know, that feed outage by pen is equally critical. And, and if we get a feeder or two that bridges because, the feed wasn't flowing adequately or there were too many fines in the pellets or they got water into the feeder or something. And if that's not fixed, then you, you have that subpopulation problem within the building, similar to what you detected with your experience, Chris. Yep, that's exactly right. So it's just about making sure to, that those caretakers understand they're checking those barns often enough, you know, and maybe that's hopefully with some of this new precision livestock technology you know, one of the immediate areas of, of opportunity you would say is you'd hope to be able to better understand that and be able to fix it before we start to have issues with the pigs. 
production is all about the details. I think that's a great take home message to jot down here as we head into the final stretch of our conversation. But it is that time in the episode again where we do hear some of these key takeaways from both Steve and Chris. So get those pens ready. You know, when we think about finishing mortality, it's probably, from my perspective, the most critical component of the pig operation. It is related to lots of production variables. At the same time, the challenge is, is if we wait until we see a closeout, it's too much in the rearview mirror. And so we need real-time indicators that we can measure and monitor to make sure that the closeout results get better. And it requires persistence and dedication to ensure that those things occur because you routinely were seeing this delayed response. So the things that you did on the pigs two months ago may not be evident in the closeouts for another two months. And so that's the one of the challenges with finishing mortality. But it's very critical that it receives attention and is recognized as one of the key factors that stand in the way of moving from average to superior performance. Yeah, Steve, I think that's an excellent summary. And then that's one, frankly, you know, those are usually are not easy to find. And, and I think some of the systems I've seen that have done that the best, they, you know, most systems have a personnel who routinely go in and an outsider, you know, whether it be a service manager, or territory manager who routinely go ahead and do a site visit. I think some of the most successful systems I've seen with really reducing finishing mortality is they've got a form that they fill out and then they're taking that information and then putting it into a computerized system and then being able to score and share, you know, and it's just as stuff as simple as, you know, is there feed in the feeders? Are they appropriately treating pigs? You know, all the things that are occurring while those pigs are in process. And really, I think what it, it helps to do is is really to look at what are some of the things on farm that we can do today to influence mortality before we look at our closeouts at the end, as you said, Steve. So it's it's really about the details on that finishing end. And, and I think really spending time with those caretakers who are taking care of those pigs, make sure that they understand what they're doing and the reason why they're doing it, not just here's my SOP or protocol, you need to follow it. Because I think we've just seen compliance is a whole lot better when people understand the why they're being asked to do something versus just being told to do it. Because at the end of the day, the guy at the slat level, he's the one that's probably going to have the most impact on those group of pigs. So we need to make sure that our caretakers are educated and engaged in the performance of those pigs. And, you know, Chris, I think that's right on. And I think another part that needs to be emphasized is people are looking for guidance and leadership. And, you know, those that have effective leadership are pushing that importance, that why, that expectation all the way through the system. And, and so the, the site evaluation that you talked about requires so much discipline and so much follow through and so much leadership to be effective. But when it's there, you see the rewards. Well, we've certainly covered a lot of ground here today. And a big thank you to both Steve and Chris. But as we know, and they just mentioned there, it all comes down to the people. Like Chris mentioned there at the end, our caretakers have an impact on the pigs. It's important to remember, though, as Steve said, that whenever leadership is there, we really get to reap the rewards of their hard work. 
Everything we've discussed takes time and effort, but when all of these things are combined, they certainly add up to be some elements of success. Well, thanks again for tuning in here for the second part of this discussion. That's all the time we have for today. However, starting next month, we'll be bringing you some fantastic conversations from thought leaders and presentations from the recent International Conference on Pig Survivability. So be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss those insightful conversations coming up soon. Until then, I'm your host, Delaney Howell, and this has been the Pig X Podcast. PIGX is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org, or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. PIGX. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.